The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornoyer. And I'm Ryan Hasman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart, and we're recording this episode on August 26th, 2018. In this episode, we're going to talk about the summer of Alberta politics and what to expect as we enter the fall months, including the upcoming NDP convention in Red Deer and the return of the legislature in October, a bit about the state of federal politics in Alberta and what impact Mad Max Bernier leaving the federal conservatives might have in Canada and might have in Alberta, if any. And we'll answer some listener questions you sent us. But first, we're going to delve into some of the latest political gossip and nomination news here in Alberta. I think the biggest political gossip is that Ryan returned from Eastern Canada. Ah, yes. Yeah, welcome back, Ryan. Thanks, guys. How was your trip out to PEI? Oh, it was great. PEI is a wonderful place, especially with kids, where you go to the beach and you forget about most other things in life except for ice cream and lobsters, if that's your thing. And yeah, it was great. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Erica, Natasha, and Janice for filling in for, I guess, both me, myself, and Dave while I was away. They Uh, did a great job. Oh, yeah. They did awesome. Yeah. I listened to it while on PEI. Once I found good internet, our uh, cottage (laughs) didn't have Wi-Fi, and I blew through, like, my data package pretty quick. (laughs) You know, iPhones are built to go through a lot of data, I think. But you also removed a lot of social media apps from your phone, didn't you? You know, I did. I deleted Twitter and Whoa. Facebook Whoa. right off of my phone. Good for you. Yeah. And what I, I cheated a little bit. I had my Instagram set up to post to Facebook um, oh, okay. so that pictures of the boys okay. playing on the beach would still be seen by my family. But <laughs> it was great. I mean, I felt a little bit disconnected. Um, but I found that after a few days, I didn't really miss them anymore at all and the thing about twitter is there's like two sides of it one is the arguing and the nonsense but that part i don't miss i still don't really haven't really re-emerged but i also missed it because or i did miss it because it's like a customized news service Mm -hmm. right i can follow the sources that i care about which for me is like space sports and politics and dinosaurs but whatever you're into like leanne follows all these nascar drivers or whatever you know so that part of twitter i missed I found myself going to old websites like nationalnewswatch.com and oh man, like cnn.com trying to know what's new. You yeah, were, you were reading the fake news. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about it, like the thing about Twitter is it's what's happening right now, right? If you're refreshing, you're pretty confident there's no breaking there hasn't been a large-scale news event that you don't know about. Yeah. So, missing that was kind of tricky, but I basically didn't go on any social media for more than two weeks, and it was it was great. So you're like reading the news when it was old news. Yeah, or having to wait like four hours for an update. <laughs> wow. I know. It's crazy. But, well, kind of refreshing for vacation, though. Eh? I, I like to, t- to tune out of uh, yeah. social media when I go on vacation, too. It's nice. Well, you. I don't know about you guys, but I find I just do it instinctively. Yeah. yeah. Standing yeah, you, in you line. You have to delete the apps, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Standing in line, stopped at a red light. Of course, I never do that anymore because it's illegal <laughs> or whatever. You just like, it's like a rat in the cheese. You just need it. You need it right now. Yeah. And so that felt good. But I'm back and I'm sure I'll get be getting into Twitter fights soon enough. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I listened to a reply all an older episode. They've been running over the summer some of their greatest hits and it was the one about Pizzagate. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which essentially kind of started on Reddit. 
There was apparently a subreddit about called the Donald where a bunch of his supporters went. And there was this whole, it was a very interesting story. We'll have to post it in the show notes. But the CEO of Reddit got trolled so bad that he went in and edited the database to modify users' posts. Yes, I remember hearing about this. Which or, is kind yeah. of not good. Because no. then it went crazy. And um, But anyway, yada, 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 long story short. And then a guy shows up with a gun at a pizza parlor. And so yeah. it was not that funny. But... The whole Reddit thing, Reddit thing is something that I just haven't done yet, and maybe I, maybe I won't. I mean, it's a good, it's an interesting source of information, mm-hmm. to, and you know, there's there's thousands, if not millions, of subreddits on different topics, uh, on everything you can imagine. But it, it's like any other social medium, the the platform has its own culture, and the different subreddits have their own cultures as well. So what what you know is acceptable on the Blep subreddit may not be acceptable on the Sploot subreddit. And Splooting, by the way, fellas, Splooting. Still rated family. This is family. It's when a dog or a cat is laying on the ground, but their hind legs are sticking out behind them. That's called Splooting. (laughs) (laughs) So now, one other question about this. I understand that the Ask Me Anythings are from Reddit, right? Yeah, there's a whole subreddit for it. So maybe if our audience ever grows to that point, we can do an Ask Me Anything with you guys. Since you're on the Reddit, sure, yeah, so, sounds good. We'll do that one day. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you back, Ryan. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> As you can tell, August are the dog days of summer. Mm-hmm. So, are there any? Is there any political gossip or nomination news that you guys are aware of? Well, I mean, it is the dog days of summer, but there are a lot of nomination. There's there is a lot of non- nomination activity happening. Um, the UCP uh, United Conservative Party is continuing to nominate candidates. There's active nominations in most uh, most districts. Um, uh, the NDP are starting to nominate more candidates. The Alberta Party is starting to nominate more candidates. Uh, if you just give me a sec, I'll pull up the uh, the 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 Dave Berta Alberta election 2019 tracker, <laughs> and I'll give you an idea of how many candidates have been nominated. This, by the way, is Dave's other full time job is just yes. keeping this database up to up to date. Yes, and the, by database I mean web page. It's all HTML, so it's, it's just really, a, really easy to use. It's just a list of names. Yeah, but but it's the only place that it's all that all the uh, all the information is kept. But so, people don't realize that you don't actually get paid to do this. I think. No, no, I don't. This is this is a pure joy and out of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, dedication joy. to public service so I, I enjoy doing it so well I mean you're getting something out of it too you get to understand that the shape of the races that are forming in the province before yeah. the next election yeah yeah absolutely um, so the United Conservative Party at this point has 28 candidates nominated in 87 districts the Alberta Party has 25 nominated in, in 87 districts the NDP have 12 the Liberal Party now has four, and the Green Party has one, and the Freedom Conservative Party hasn't nominated anybody yet. Not a single person. Not a single person yet. So, but I, th- I expect that'll be changing. The, uh, the I just want uh, to see your reaction. The I I I am going to make the prediction here that Derek Fillibrand will be acclaimed as the Freedom Conservative Party candidate in the new Chestermere Strathmore or Strathmore Chestermere district. Didn't, didn't he actually get asked at his press conference about his, like something to the effect of, "Well, how can you be the leader of the party without the members choosing?" Well, he's not the leader. He's the interim. He's the yeah. interim leader, and there, there's going to be a uh, a leadership convention for the Freedom Conservative Party on October twentieth, twenty eighteen, at Camp Chestermere in uh, in in Derek Fildebrandt's. Well, actually, I don't think it's in his current Strathmore Brooks riding, but it'll be in it's in the new Strathmore Chestermere riding, where where uh, I think it's safe to assume that uh, Mr. Fildebrandt will be running against uh, 
former Wild Rose and now UCP MLA Lila here. October 20th yeah. is a Saturday. I don't have anything going on that day. <laughs> I'm uh, washing my beard that day. <laughs> I have right. a beard. I have a vacation beard. <laughs> it so looks good. We're, we're 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 all. Oh yeah, we're all bearded. Yeah, I think we should do a photo for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I heard that at this meeting they're going to be serving um, poutine, except with freedom fries and American cheese. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. I don't know where the freedom gravy will come from, <laughs> but I guess Alberta beef probably. Not not uh, not a dairy cartel. No, uh, there'll be no Quebec cheese or <laughs> French fries. It will be, uh, I guess Iowa. Yeah, I guess this is what we're in for. Isn't there a tariff on that now? Or <laughs> there okay. might be. Well, you know anyway. why they make good potatoes? PEI. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Exactly. Although, isn't there a problem with their potato crops? I saw a headline last week. I don't think so. I, I was there for a couple of weeks. I didn't see anything about it. We did see the potato museum. <laughs> Many bags of fresh potatoes. There was a lot of signs that said "new potatoes," like "new potatoes, 500 meters turn here." I kind of implied that some of the potatoes are old, but. <laughs> I think it's like one of those world's greatest coffee signs. You just it's evergreen. Yeah. I don't I don't know enough about potatoes to comment intelligently on new versus old potatoes. I I I'm not I don't I don't know anything about this. Baked, mashed, I don't care. Just give me some potatoes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh one of the questions we got um when I was chatting with Janice and Erica and Natasha was about the speed with which the parties are nominating people. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of, of nominating late? And you and I talked about this the other day, Dave, mm-hmm. but but why might the NDP only have, what was it, a dozen? Yep, a dozen. What's the, what's the strategy behind nominating candidates in the lead up to an election? Well, I mean, I think with the, with you see two different strategies going on here between the UCP and the NDP. Uh, the UCP... Uh, has a lot of momentum coming out of their leaders coming out of their con- the recent convention. Um, they're doing well in the polls. Uh, they have a lot of groundwork that they need. They have a lot of groundwork that's going on and that needs to be done. Um, they're nominating nominating candidates quickly. I expect by this fall they'll probably have, or by the end of this fall they'll probably have most of their candidates nominated by the, at least by the end of the year. Um, so they're getting out of the starting gates really quickly. Uh, the NDP, on the other hand, seem to be taking a, a more slower, at least a slower approach. Uh, from what I'm told, they'll start nominating more candidates in the fall and going into the spring, uh, using it more as a fundraising opportunity, dragging, you know, not, not dragging things out, but, but moving on a, on a different timeline. The, I mean, the difference between the UCP and the NDP is that the UCP has, what, 24, 25 MLAs. The NDP have 54, 55 MLAs. Even though they're not all officially running for nominations yet, these MLAs aren't just sitting on their hands and doing nothing. They're actually out there door knocking out. They're actually out there campaigning, even though they haven't actually may, may not have announced or may not have officially been nominated. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's two there's two different two different approaches. I'm not sure which one really is better. Um, just because the NDP aren't nominating the candidates yet doesn't mean that their MLAs aren't on the doors, which is really what matters. Um, I, I, was, I was trying to think about going back into previous elections and whether it mattered. I mean, there's there's different strategy, there's different different schools of thought about whether being nominated early or whether being nominated late matters. Um, what a di- how much of a difference it makes. I mean, I think I I, I mean, I'm generally of the of the opinion that the sooner you get out, the long more time you have on the doors, the more time you can fundraise. Um, but uh, uh, going into an election, that's you know, it might it may or may not actually make 
make the difference mm. whether they're actually officially nominated or not. I well, think I think we'll see the NDP focus a lot on 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 fundraising and, prom- and promoting their candidates and highlighting their candidates going into the spring. I think too the difference comes down to an unheld versus held seats. Yeah, because an incumbent MLA. Yeah, there's, it's not the same type of pressure, but I think about here, the UCP in St. Albert, I had hoped to do the nomination, you know, early in the summer, because in, during the nomination, it's all inward focus. You're talking to members about buying a membership and showing up at a meeting. It's kind of internal. After that, you begin to make the case to the community. And so this, I think because for the UCP St. Albert, for example, there's, you know, most of the provinces like this is an unheld seat. It would have been better to get it done sooner because then that candidate she or he can get out there and start talking to the population. Now, when there's an incumbent, Marie Renaud, for example, yeah, you're right. Just by being the MLA and being present, she's campaigning. So I think that I would, I don't know, I don't have the data in front of me, but I bet you the correlation is more to do with held versus unheld. And the bottleneck, at least from the UCP side, is just sheer logistics. You know, they can't do all these nominations on the same day because it's the, a small group of volunteers and party officials who are running them. So they have to stagger them. And, just about every riding is convinced that they are a unique situation of urgent need to get going. And it is always true, you know, that every riding is different and every riding is urgent. So I do have some sympathy for the party um, staff, and I guess it's because I've had that job before, but, you know, it's pretty tough to balance getting them done orderly, getting them done fairly and quickly. And then, you know, everyone on you all the time and making the case for why their riding is unique and, then you've got the incumbents who want to make sure that it works for them. And it's it's not an easy job. So I guess we'll see. There are three underway that I'm going to give a shout out to because sure. I'm holding the microphone right now. So <laughs> I have many friends running. And, you know, it's hard to name names because you'll inevitably forget someone. But in particular, one of our most loyal audience members is Aaron Deep Sandu, and he's running in Edmonton Meadows. Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know he had uh, he had the desire to stand as a candidate. Indeed. Well, he ran before for city council. Yeah. Was it Ward 12? It was the Ward 12 by-election. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. After Emerjeet, so he won federally. Uh, yeah. There was a by-election in southwest Edmonton, and there were, he was one of, I think, 32 candidates running in that by-election. And I think he placed third or fourth. So yeah, was, he did really well. Which was actually you know pretty good, I mean, because really well. in such a huge crowd. Mm. Um, and I think your site like basically scooped him announcing it, or... You had it first before he told people or something that uh, he said he was Dave Berta official before he said he was official. So. Oh, well, there you go. I must have been paying attention. Yeah. There's, there's now a phrase for that. Dave Berta official. Dave Berta, there you go. I Dave love Berta. That. Then two other friends close to home. We could almost throw a rock and hit the ridings is uh, Nicole Williams, who is running in Edmonton West Henday. And you can see Edmonton West Henday from here. Well, there it is. That streetlight. <laughs> 50 meters we're, we're, away. We're, we're at, uh, at uh, Dave Berta North headquarters in St. Albert <laughs> yeah, right now. So barely St. Albert. Yeah, we can we're, see Edmonton. We, we can touch Edmonton from here. Right on the, you know, and a lot of people who grew up in St. Albert assume that it's kind of like Escape from New York. There's like this dome <laughs> over Edmonton and it's just full of like violence and plague. And you, you can't smoke marijuana here publicly. Isn't that <laughs> the other thing? Yeah. <laughs> and we, then, we might have to move our North recording studio. <laughs> and then my third friend I want to mention, he's actually a counselor on the city of Spruce Grove and he's seeking the UCP nomination in Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Searle Turton. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Official shout outs. Well, that's a, that's a pretty hotly contested I think nomination. I think there are th- four or five candidates running. And I saw yeah. a campaign button. Uh, that uh, that I thought was it, it was it was a little stretch for uh, 
for the rhyme, but uh, which it was uh, stop the hurtin', vote for Turton. <laughs> I think was the uh, was which which I mean you know I love I love campaign buttons. Yeah, sir. All sorry that one was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, but, but we're you know, talking about it. We're talking we're about, talking it. about <laughs> it. Well, Cyril's been on city council, I believe, for two terms. So okay. people know him. He did well, and um, he's a friend of ours. So anyway, there's my there's my shout out. Okay. Um, I, I just have a couple nomination nomination races that I wanted to just briefly talk about. Um, well, one of note, uh, Edmonton Glenora, Steve Young, former MLA yeah. for Edmonton Riverview, defeated. Yeah, it was a surprise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was expecting that uh, that Young would try to make his political comeback, running against Sarah Hoffman in the next election. Sarah Hoffman, the NDP MLA for Edmonton Glenora, Deputy Premier, Minister of Health, who is going to be expected to be nominated at a meeting coming up, in, I think in early September, her, the, her nomination meeting is coming up. I'm sure she's in a tough but, fight uh, there. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I think, I think you know, Sarah Hoffman is one of the, uh, I think one of the strong, her smartest cabinet ministers. I think she's, she's I think she, very strong. I think if you're drawing up a list of the two or three MLAs who would be the next leader, she's got to be on that list. I think yeah, she's, yeah, I think she's definitely on that list. Um, so Steve Young had his political comeback uh, stopped in its uh, stopped in its tracks, though. Though the uh, there's as far as I know, there's only one person running for the UCP nomination in Edmonton Riverview. So maybe we'll see him jump back into his the old riding that he represented from uh, 2012 to 2015. Um, there's a number of former PC MLAs and former MLAs running for UCP and Alberta Party nominations. Um, Sohail Quadri, who I thought was going to run against Kelly McCauley in uh, Edmonton West for the federal use, or federal CPC Conservative Party nomination, uh, he's running for the UCP nomination in Edmonton Southwest, and he was the MLA for Edmonton Mill Woods from 2012 to 2015. So it's kind of odd to see him running way on the other side of the city for a nomination. Though I think the Mill Woods and uh, and Edmonton Meadows, as we mentioned before, those nomination races are becoming pretty, pretty highly competitive. Yeah. Um, Mo El Sally was a name that I hadn't heard in a while. Yeah. Uh, former Liberal MLA for Edmonton McClung from 2004 to 2008 um, is going to be running for the Alberta Party nomination in Edmonton Southwest. Um, I worked with Mo when I was working with the Liberals uh, back back in those days when he was an MLA. Um, I really like Mo. He's a very nice guy. Um, so he ran for leader there too. He ran for leader, yeah. So he ran in. He was elected in two thousand four. He defeated Mark Norris, Tory mm-hmm. cabinet minister, uh, which and is kind of a bummer. And then they went on to create the Edmonton, the AEG. It was kind of the formation of that campaign, from what I understand. They oh yeah, the yeah the Edmonton Enterprise Group. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, that was a the Edmonton Enterprise Group. Alberta came from Mark Norris's leadership campaign because right. after Not Norris a, lost his, as MLA, he lost his seat. He ran for leader when. Uh, that would have been when Klein, Morton. yeah, when Denning Morton and Stelmac so, won that won that nomination race. Wow, we're old. We're talking yeah, about totally. We're totally years. in the weeds here. <laughs> um, so anyway, more Mo Sally. He was uh, he was elected in twenty two thousand four, defeated in two thousand eight by David Zhao. Um, then uh, Mo ran for the Liberal Party leadership in two thousand eight, late two thousand eight, I think two thousand nine. Uh, to replace Kevin Taft, um, that's the one that David Swan won that leadership race. Uh, and then Mo ran again to try to um, basically tried to make try, ran against David Chow again in 2012 and and actually did pretty well for a liberal candidate in that election in McClung because mm-hmm. um, the liberals really didn't do very well in the 2012 election uh, but in McClung uh, Mo did well didn't do enough didn't do well enough to win but it wasn't really an election that was going the liberals way that time and now he's coming back to run for the Alberta party so that'll be that'll be really interesting I know of three others so you mentioned. 
in Sherwood Park. Oh yeah, uh, Dave Quest, former Tory MLA for Sher- or Strathcona Sherwood Park, is right now running for the Alberta Party nomination out there. Um, uh, Dave Doward has been nominated. He's been nominated as the uh, UCP candidate in Edmonton Gold Bar. Yep. Jason Luan has been nominated yeah. as the uh, UCP candidate in Calgary Foothills, which is different from he used to be the MLA for for Calgary Hawkwood. Now right. the, the whole Northeast Calgary is getting redrawn, so yeah. he's running in Foothills. Um, and are there any others who are running? Uh, Janice Sarich. Janice Sarich, that's right. Former yeah. uh, former Tory MLA for Edmonton Decor. And I think she was on the Catholic School Board before she was an MLA. Yeah. Uh, she's running for the UCP nomination. Interestingly, I think this will be an interesting one because she's running against Karen Princip. Principe. Principe. Yeah, Principe. Who... Jean Principe's wife. Yeah. Oh, really? And, and, and Karen placed a very strong third in the Edmonton City Council uh, election in Ward 3, where uh, John Zadek defeated Dave Logan right. in the last, uh, last fall's municipal election. So she probably has a lot of local contacts. So, yeah, so she did very well in the municipal campaign. So so I imagine her name is probably fresh in, a lot of, in the minds of a lot of uh, UCP supporters. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see whether... Uh, whether that'll make an impact on that uh, on that nomination contest. Well, and if Jean if Jean is uh, if Jean is uh, helping her with her campaign, she's going to have killer slogans because that guy oh. is basically like a so many puns, a continuous pun and nonstop dad joke. Have you ever met him? No, I've heard he's really nice though. He's very nice and he's really tall. Really? Yeah, oh, really? Like, I think he's my height. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, we so met like seven foot five. <laughs> <laughs> Not as tall as Don Iveson. We went to Florida, me and two buddies, and we, wa- we followed the Oilers play in Miami and in Tampa. And he, of course, was there around the team. We went to we went to one of the like pregame skates and stuff, and we had a chance to meet him. And yeah, he's a very nice guy. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about the guy off the, the air. <laughs> and the puns. See, I've come around on the puns. I think most people have. <laughs> As you begin to appreciate them, they get better and better. I think it I think it has it's a function actually Ryan of our age. Yeah. I find myself I even one of my favorite meme pages is called the dad man. <laughs> and uh, it posts all the dad jokes. Now there's one that I wonder about guys and maybe maybe you've heard something. Although I don't know if she's decided, but in Fort Saskatchewan, Vegreville, there's the former MLA Jackie Fenske. Has she decided to run? I don't know if she's decided. I don't know if she's announced that she's running. Um, I know that uh, that she was very unhappy with how the PC leadership race went. I know she publicly. I wrote about it on on Daybreak.ca during the when Jason Kenny was initially running against um, Richard Starkey for the PC leadership. Um, she spoke publicly, spoke out, and and I think she launched a complaint at one point with the with the leadership committee over the the way the leadership vote was held in the or delegate selection was held in the Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville district. Um, from what I understand, she's been involved with the Alberta party, or at least in terms of, of, of supportive. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether, whether she does try to try to uh, make a comeback in, uh, in Fort Saskatchewan Vegreville. I mean, so, just as, as uh, her former colleague Dave quest is in, uh, in the neighboring right. riding for the Alberta party. What would Jean Principe say, Adam? Uh, Get off the Fenske and run ski (laughs) (laughs) or something like that. There you go. You you have Jackie Fenske. You have your slogan from Adam Rosenhart. Although I I don't think that's a great slogan for what is ostensibly a centrist party because they're on the fence. (laughs) Yeah, that's the whole point. They're on the fence. (laughs) Their logo should just be a fence and they're sitting on it. Oh, we all we all know they're conservative. I do I do have a legit uh, Alberta Party question. Okay, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, but is it likely that they're going to nominate candidates in all constituencies? I think they are. That's yeah, their I goal. think that's their intent is to nominate candidates in all eighty seven all eighty seven districts. 
Um, I don't think they did last time. I think they, no, they, they nominated didn't. like 60 or 50 something in the, in the last election. Yeah. Um, Even Derek has claimed that the Derek party is going to do the same, hasn't he? They, no, no. No, but Maxime has. And I'm starting to confuse the two already. So we'll get to Bernier later. <laughs> Maxime, are you talking about uh, Derek Bernier or Maxime Fildebrand? <laughs> Don't do that. Okay. I'm going to be confused okay. with you. Okay. If you cross those wires. Okay. To, just, to, just to be clear, the um, when Derek Fildebrand announced the creation of the Freedom Conservative Party, and man, we are jumping all over the place right now. Yeah. Uh, I think he announced that he had this kind of convoluted plan that he wasn't going to run, that, that his new party wasn't going to run candidates in ridings where the NDP had a chance of winning, but it's not totally clear. Basically, he won't run in the city of Edmonton. He's just going to run in like places that are so conservative that he can split the vote and still be confident not to hand the seat to the NDP. Well, or he, he can make sure that, uh, you know, I mean, I, fingers crossed, uh, you know, he'll run run enough candidates that you will have uh, the NDP MLA for Drumheller Stetler and Innisfail Sylvan Lake and Rocky Mountain. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You'd have to run <laughs> the, a lot of these, conservative candidates. Yes, those, those are pretty strong conservative writings. I think I think that, I mean, I, th- I think we talked about this in, in a previous podcast, but uh, I mean, the, 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 uh, the the danger that Derek Filderbrandt or, or the annoyance that Der- the annoying thing that Derek Filderbrandt will create for the UCP I think is it'll force them to to potentially spend spend some resources in areas that they didn't expect to spend resources if he decides to his party's going to run candidates little in, bow little bow Cardston uh, Brooks Medicine Hat those areas yeah. yeah yeah areas that should be a sure thing and and still might be a sure thing for the UCP but but. Uh, He'll make it so they can't afford to ignore them. For those of us who are likely to vote for a more left-leaning party, a friend of the pod, Chris Henderson, told me the other day that one of the best things we can do for conservatives is give them so many choices, just a lot of choices. Exactly. And that's how you win. That's why I love that the Alberta party and the Liberal party and the New Democrats (laughs) and everybody else still exist. Don't forget the Rhino party. Right. Right. That's what I'll be the leader of that probably. Yeah. If you guys have your way. (laughs) The uh, the bull trout party. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't use Alberta's official fish enough in uh, in our political discourse. The provincial NDP will be having their policy convention in Red Deer on uh, on September twenty eighth, twenty ninth, and thirtieth, uh, which will be their uh, second, I think their second convention since they formed government, and their last convention before the next provincial election. Last convention while being the government. Or last convention of their first term in government. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and from what I'm told, even the, it's supposed to be a policy convention, but the uh, the convention will probably focus more on uh, on on the election, on preparing for for the election. I think I, someone had told me that there was 90 or 100 policies that are going to be that have been proposed to be debated, um, which apparently is fairly light for an NDP convention. Right, uh, they're uh, usually a lot more heavier. Uh, so that from what I've been told that it'll be more be more of a focus on election probably a, a campaign kickoff rally basically do you think uh, the federal leader will be invited to give a keynote oh I, I imagine he'd be a hot ticket I think I think I think Jagmeet Singh will be too busy running in the federal by-election in Burnaby South running <laughs> against the pipeline so I don't know if Red Deer will be on this actually it might be right around the same time does do they have a date no uh, so so f- for our listeners who who haven't been who are, aren't aware, Jagmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, is going to be running in a federal by-election in the Burnaby South district, uh, which is is not vacant yet. Uh, the current MLA right. or current MP Kennedy Stewart right. is has said I think he said he's going to resign on September fourteenth, which is the start. He's running for mayor of Vancouver, so he's going to. That's a good point. There's he hasn't actually resigned yet, so uh, I think the feds the federal. Uh, 
election, elections Canada says that there needs to be six months. I think it's the same as provincial. There'll be six months until by election. So the, 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 the prime minister has six months to call the by election. Right. So that's an interesting question. If you're JT, do you want to hurry up and have Jagmeet Singh face the electorate or do you want to drag this out? I could see it. A nefarious liberal plot going either way. Doesn't that hurt him? Doesn't that hurt Justin Trudeau in British Columbia, though? Kind of make him look like a political douchebag? Well, when we were going to get to the federal stuff, I was going to make an observation that Jagmeet Singh is so bad, so terrible as a political performer that he's actually screwed the conservatives twice on two levels at the <laughs> same time. I don't see why that's bad. Oh, well, if you're a conservative, it's bad. <laughs> Level number one is federally. We were counting on him to be a gravity well of progressive votes you know a great story he gives an amazing speech we all saw that uh, clip of him facing the woman sh- calling him an islamic terrorist or something crazy mm-hmm. you know he had so much potential but based on his performance how upset his caucus is how unsteady and shaky he's been in ottawa he's not doing us conservatives any favors federally and then provincially the dude couldn't be helping Rachel Notley more if he was writing checks to her campaign. In fact, way more than the $4,000 limit. Like, he's giving her the laneway to put the Captain Alberta cloak on. Well, it's because she is Captain Alberta, Ryan. <laughs> Rachel like, Notley is Captain Alberta. You yeah. couldn't ask for a better script or opportunity for Rachel Notley than to tell Ottawa, even her own mm-hmm. Ottawa, to go pound sand. Mm-hmm. It's like... Which is always a good... Which is always a winning campaign tactic in Alberta. I mean, I bet you her numbers, every time she does that, I bet you they go up. You know, and we've talked about this before. I can't believe she still hasn't broken away from... Or they haven't broken away from the federal party. But Jagmeet Singh is such a disappointment to me and as a conservative partisan. <laughs> that he has failed and is hurting me on two levels at the same time. And I'm sure there's some other element I'm not thinking of too. Do you think at the policy convention in September for the NDP that they will talk about separating from the federal party? I think it will be hard not to talk someone about that. Some, someone will bring it up. I, I mean, I don't know what the, what the, what the structure is in terms of how, motion, motion, how motions yeah. are proposed from before, but I'd be surprised if this wasn't on people's minds. Well, even just if it's talked about, yeah. that's yeah. good enough. Like, and, that, and the news media will be all over that. Oh, yeah, totally. And the headline will be something like, calls for Notley to tell the Ottawa NDP... To suck it. To like take lost. a hike. Yeah. yeah. And that's as good. As, I mean, all it is is a headline. People don't really know how it all works. We yeah. should uh, we should make a, a limited edition one copy of a bumper sticker that we send to the premier that says, Jagmeet is my wingman. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Deal. We're on it. Okay. There we no. go. <laughs> Ryan's not into it. <laughs> Jagmeet. Do better, man. <laughs> There's no other conferences or anything happening in the fall. No, no, that's it for, uh, for Alberta. Well, what we about... We talked about the Freedom Conservative. Uh, so the Freedom Conservative Party would have a leadership race, which would double as a policy convention kind of thing? Founding convention, maybe. I mean, the thing is, we've ta- I've talked about this in 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 previous episode in a previous episode. I think maybe even previous episodes before it became the Freedom Conservative Party. But the Freedom Conservative Party is not really a new, it's a new entity, but it's not really a new entity. It's actually been around for a long time. Oh right, yeah. it was the it was the Western conserv I think the Western Conservative Party or the Western Freedom Party, and then it was the Alberta First Party, and then it was the Separation Party, and then it was the Alberta First Party that was formed in 1999. So this is, uh, I mean. I think they're starting with a clean slate of, of uh, you know, a healthy, do- healthy dose of separatism and xenophobia. Uh, but uh, well, freedom ain't free, dude. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, we'll see how that works in the next election. <laughs> 
We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week, Edmonton Community Foundation. You've heard us talk about Edmonton Community Foundation before. They do things like uh, invest in community through uh, donations from people in the setup of endowment funds. They also have a podcast called the Well Endowed Podcast. And I'm really excited about their episode this month. Uh, I'm just going to read the synopsis because it's, it's an opportunity for them to sort of explain how the endowment process works. So on this month's Well Endowed podcast, we hear how a scholarship that was set up in memory of Don Snyder is helping uh, Edmonton Folk Music Festival volunteers pursue their post-secondary educations, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So I, as, I, as I recall, Don was a hardcore Folk Fest volunteer who passed away and an endowment fund was set up in his name. They're also do, they also, in this episode, talk about the Terra Center, um, which I don't know if you guys are very familiar mm-hmm. with the Terra Center. Yeah, I'm aware of it. So they help... Um, young mothers to to keep their kids and, and have a productive life and all that stuff. It's a lot more in-depth than that. So you should check out the Terra Center's website. But they're working uh, in this episode. They're talking with the Terra Center, that which is in integrating Indigenous cultural learning into its support for young parents, which is really huge. So this, this episode of the Well Endowed Podcast is a bit of a showcase of what the Edmonton Community Foundation does uh, through its work, through donations, and through endowment funds. So you should check that out. That's at the wellendowedpodcast.com. So Ryan. Speaking I'm, of uh, federal politics. I'm looking at a, uh, a new polling data that came out from Abacus Data uh, this week. David Coletto posted it on Twitter. Voting intention with a Bernier party. So this is looking at... Oop. This is Derek, you know, Derek Bernier? Was no, no, he? no. Sorry, sorry. Maxime Phillips. No, no, no. Derek. No. Maxime Bernier. <laughs> yes. So federal conservative MP Maxime Bernier has left the conser- federal conservative party caucus. He placed second with 49% of the vote in the 13th round of voting in, in last year's uh, federal conservative leadership election, placing second to Andrew Scheer, uh, has been highly, you know, really highly critical of Scheer. Um, was probably on the verge of being kicked out for some tweets he posted about uh, how bad diversity was. Our diversity, basically, I think it was diversity is our weakness, or more diversity is our weakness. Uh, he's been criticizing Sheer. He, he almost came very close to publishing a book that apparently had criticisms of Sheer and criticisms well, of of the big dairy industry. And then he uh, promised that, them that he would not publish it, and then he posted some of it on his website. Yeah. And this is all around not liking sheer and not liking supply management. So, so it's it it's been a little bit of a disappointing month in terms of Maxime. <laughs> yeah, um, many of us really liked Maxime. Uh, a, a secret that I'll reveal to you two only. It's a secret is that during the leadership race, we actually hosted Maxime here in this very house. He stood right there, and we introduced him to some members. And it wasn't that I necessarily subscribed to the libertarian view exclusively, though I do want them in our party, but he was just, he was talking about issues. He was talking about policy. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. Some of his policies probably wouldn't survive interaction with governing, but, you know, it was refreshing just to have someone with his profile. There was a piece that Monty Solberg just wrote on, was it iPolitics? Sorry, we'll post it. Um... Where he said, you know, Maxime is equipped with every toolkit that a successful politician needs. He's intelligent. He's um, committed to his cause. 
He's charming. He's good looking. He's fluent in both languages, the whole bit. But I see two sides to this episode. The first one is really just very hard to be sympathetic of, which is the whole sore loser. Yeah. You know, he lost mm-hmm. and it was close. I think he was leading for all but the last ballot. Mm-hmm. And that that's tough. I mean, you're this close to being leader. 13 ballots. Yeah. Like that's insane. Oh, and having been through elections and stuff, you know, you watch that and you just cringe thinking like, man, that's a tough gig. But everyone in the last year has come around Sheer and the leader because in party politics, regardless of which party, you have a choice. Do you either want some of something or all of nothing, right? Like you can't get everything you want, but you come together as a party, you come up with platforms and policies where most of what you care about the most is in there. And you take it to the voters and you get to achieve most of it. You can be, you can have a perfect party platform that you agree with totally, and then you'll be in your own party, which is basically what it looks like he's chosen to do. (laughs) And one of the things that actually really encourages me, and I'm wielding the partisan pike again here. What is it? Mjolnir? Yeah, Mjolnir. 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 (laughs) Too hard to say. We need need a a Thor sound effect or something. (laughs) Um... (laughs) One thing that's encouraged me through this is that you have not seen the old fault lines in the PC co- or the PC Canadian Alliance coalition. It has not been an issue of reformers or red Tories or Atlantic Tories or Quebec Tories. Basically, everyone has come out. I think in many ways, Maxime is going to galvanize the party to just say like whether or not Sheer was their guy. What Maxime is doing now is just so selfish and so disruptive. So I have very, very little sympathy for that. But I think it's worth also saying, and I don't at all agree with his comment about radical multiculturalism. I subscribe to multiculturalism. I agree with um, a large-scale immigration policy. And, you know, in the Harper years, immigration targets were about 250,000 people per year coming in. The Trudeau government has bumped it up to about 300,000, talking about increasing it to 340,000 by 2020. The danger here is that if people who are supportive of, multi- of immigration, multiculturalism, a pluralistic society, if we don't also fight hard for a system with integrity and a well-run fair system, we risk turning the general populace against it. So when people like Michelle Rempel are critical of the government because of what's happening at the border with the out-of-control refugee system that's serving nobody, it's not serving the refugees, it's not serving immigrants who've gone through the process, when people like the prime minister just call her a racist and say, you're being racist, I think that it really does a discredit to the issue. And that's the danger here. Maxime and those like him may be tapping into this vein of, um, you know, the Steve Bannon approach to politics. And I don't think that vein is ever going to go away. But if fancy people, elites like me, say, well, you're all just being racist, Instead of saying, well, let's make sure the system works, let's make sure it's orderly and lawful and efficient and fair, then that that group just grows. So I don't I don't want to totally say Max has no point whatsoever, because a little bit of what these people are motivated by, his supporters, are worth talking about. But I don't have any sympathy for him personally or as a politician. Now, I mean, elites like Ryan... And uh, and conservative other conservative MPs might not support Bernier, but going back to what what I was talking about in the intro uh, to this this segment, uh, Abacus Data came out with a poll recently. I mean, this is just a poll, and it asked if uh, 
if a federal election were held tomorrow, which one of the following parties would you vote for in your constituency? And it gives the the the, uh, the four kind of traditional parties, the liberals, the conservatives, the NDP, the green, and then in Quebec, the Bloc Québécois. And then it asks the Bernier party, basically. Uh, yeah. And this poll, you know, take it for what it is, grain of salt. But it's interesting. 13% yeah. Canada-wide said they would vote for the Bernier party, including 18% in Alberta, 17% in Saskatchewan, 15% in Quebec, yeah. um, and then various percentages in the rest of the rest of the country. So while, you know, the conservative establishment, the MPs who are in Halifax, the federal conservative convention are all rallying, seem to all be rallying behind Scheer, um, it seems like there is a stream of conservatism that the Bernier really appeals to. So, I mean, I wouldn't completely just i wouldn't completely just discount discount him yeah. um no i, I agree he, so the, but he, he has to get his shit together well yeah i mean you need but to turn these these this these percentages into actual votes you need, actually need to run candidates you need to have organization around the country and right. i mean it's not really clear you have, we're we're just over a year until the next federal election but one thing that's also clear to me is he is only going to hurt the conservative party he's not drawing votes away from anybody else he may be drawing some away from people who don't vote at all and he, in the end of it all, when he looks back, is going to possibly hurt the issues he cares most about. But he's not thinking about that because he's just like Derek. He's thinking, he's yeah, thinking but, about but, Max. But, 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 the, fact, but, 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 but to his, to his, to his and, I mean, I can't believe I'm defending Bernie, but, but to try and understand for his position, the, the issues he cares about are these the issues that have driven him to... Uh, if if you're gonna if you're gonna believe that this is more than just a just just his about his ego losing the leadership race, he did lay out a number of issues that he was taught that he that were he was disgruntled with and why he left why he was leaving the party. He doesn't believe any of those issues like supply management are going to be dealt with if even if a federal conservative the federal conservative party forms government. Yeah. And I think there are probably a lot of conservatives who, even though they might support the federal conservative party, they feel similarly. For sure. So and well, I mean this I, is the hard thing about big tent coalitions and you know i know my side the best but i suspect the federal ndp and the federal mm -hmm. liberals have similar similar challenges like there are folks i know in the conservative party of canada who are angry about the harper years from the left and the right who mm -hmm. don't feel like it was good for them on completely contradictory sides of the party and it's interesting too that this is happening at the same time as Derek fildebrandt and of course max always talks about how he's the favorite alberta from Albertan from Quebec. I, I, I don't, as an Albertan, I don't understand this. Well, he, he likes, you know, he says it there too. He just likes, I think he's speaking to that, that liberty, small government, libertarian side of the party. And so he won, I believe he won the most votes in Alberta. He did. He won 23 out of 34 ridings yeah. in Alberta in the final round of voting in the, in the CPC leadership. But when you call your party and hundreds of thousands of members or activists that go along with it, morally and intellectually corrupt it's pretty tough to go back from that it's pretty tough to be sympathetic like morally corrupt i mean come on man like so you i get that it's unsatisfactory sometimes to not get your way or to have your issues front and center but if everybody did that we wouldn't have a party wouldn't we wouldn't have a system and you know it's funny because when parties are in opposition this is what happens like exactly when they need to come together is when they just blow themselves up remember the liberals during the um, Stefan Dion years were just like civil war. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was just like grenades going off in every direction. And the lessons we learned here, both federally with the CA and the PCs and provincially with the UCP, although we haven't seen it yet, is that it's far more effective to take half a loaf together than to be righteous and to, you know, make no compromise and end up eternally in opposition. 
Well, we'll see how long that lasts. Can can I can I can I uh, can I give the Bernier Party a name? The Bernier Fildebrand Party, the yeah. uh, the United Disgruntled Conservatives of Canada. <laughs> I really think we need to work some sort of poutine in because it's freedom fries and freedom cheese instead of French fries and dairy. Well, it's Alberta, so there has to be some steak involved. Yeah. Well, that's the gravy. We'll work on this. We're, Audience, we're if you have we'll any suggestions. Back to you next time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. If you have suggestions, please send them and spend send it into us. Well, guys, it's that time of the show where we take a look inside the Dave Berta mailbag questions that have been sent to us over the last, I guess, few weeks since we started soliciting questions from people. Dave, what's our first question here? Our first question comes from Jason West. And Jason asks, will a significant number of Alberta conservatives who supported Bernier for the leadership follow him out of the Conservative Party of Canada? We kind of touched on this a bit during our discussion. Um I, I'm going to uh, before before I let our uh, our resident uh, conservative uh, chime in. Uh, I'm I'm going to suggest that I mean, at least in Alberta, I don't think I don't think there'll be any MPs that follow him. There there were only two. I think there were only two MPs who actually from Alberta who actually supported Bernier in the leadership. I think it was Tom Kamick Kamick and uh, Len Weber who uh, oh, yeah. who had uh, had previously been supporting Kevin O'Leary. Uh, and then supported <laughs> Maxime Bernier. Um, I think O'Leary actually endorsed Bernier. To think about that, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a really weird. They kind of merged the staff at the end. And yeah, yeah. It was a, merged it was, merged the momentum, uh, the O'Leary a, momentum. It was an exciting time. Yeah, it was kind of a weird time. Um, I hope Kevin O'Leary comes back to conservative politics in Canada. Well, he still has some campaign debt to pay off, from what I understand. Yeah, okay. I think he does. Yeah. Boston resident Kevin O'Leary. Uh, what could have gone wrong, hey? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't, th- I, I don't think there'll be any MPs from Alberta who follow him. But uh, in terms of, of conservative supporters, I mean, I wouldn't. I think they're they're. Uh, th- the issues that he's he's been talking about, I think, appeal to uh, to a lot of conservative partisans. Um, I mean, I heard Danielle Smith talk about it uh, on her show the other day about how, um, I think it was on her show or maybe it might have been on Twitter about how um, she wouldn't be surprised if there are conservative party some conservative party members who actually do follow him. So I wouldn't be surprised. So so um, you know the more uh, the more conservative parties, the better. I I think before I let Ryan answer this question because he's the only one really qualified to, my suspicion is it depends upon the volume and fidelity of the messaging coming both out of Bernier's new party and Derek Fildebrand's party, if that is enough to sway voters. But Andrew Scheer is going to have this really compelling narrative, which is we have to defeat the liberals. And I I think that most Alberta voters, conservative Alberta Mm -hmm. voters will rally behind Scheer's message. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, but again, I'm going to interrupt Ryan before he, uh, before he he comes in on this. We shouldn't let him answer this question. (laughs) Um, uh, What I find interesting is looking at, I think there's another poll that I was looking at and I, I, We'll post a link to it, and I can't remember which polling company. But it basically it was a recent poll that just came out that basically showed it might have been Abacus again, but uh, that showed that voting intentions among Albertans are today are basically the same as they were during the last federal election. Mm-hmm. So the Liberals are still sitting at twenty five percent, which is where they sat at in the last time. The NDP are around eleven or thirteen percent, which is where they were last time, and the Conservatives are around fifty something, just over fifty percent. So. I'm not convinced that there's going to be this. I mean, most Alberta seats, almost all the seats in Alberta will go conservative as they have did in the last election as they usually do. But I don't I mean, I don't expect there'll be a huge uh, Andrew Shear mania wave just simply because and that's Andrew Shear is not like a sheer s- momentum, sheer tacular. Yeah, I mean, he's not, you know, he's he's not a. Uh, an exciting individual, if you know what I mean, like he's he's uh, he was speaker of the. House of Commons. I mean, he's kind of boring. 
But I mean, after steady. Justin Trudeau, maybe that's what people want. I knew you were going to say steady. <laughs> Sheer stability. Sheer. Sheer stability. So Jason, and thanks for tuning in and sending us your question. You know, Jason is actually the kind of guy that I would put the question to. Um, Jason's a St. Albert activist here and very involved at both the provincial and the federal level. And, um, you know, the kind of guy who volunteers in party roles and policy development. And I don't, I think the bottom line is I don't think very many will. Uh, many of us who are at least my age or older are very aware of what the reform PC, um, years did in terms of being out in the wilderness and how hard it was through the elections of, 97 and 2000 and 2004 to come back from that. And so I think there's an awful lot of, um, of a bank account there to draw from just regardless of who's the leader of just sticking with the big party. Now, for sure, there are some activists who are not happy. They weren't happy during Harper. And I don't mean to be, um, you know, sound simplistic, but no matter who the leader is, there's always going to be a certain slice of people who don't love it. So, I'm not overly worried, but I do think it's in our best interest to take the issue seriously, not indulge the Maxime and Derek leadership sort of persona or egos, but to look at the policies and what they're saying and to think very carefully about which ones merit further consideration and which ones should actually be addressed. And so I'm not, it's wrong to say I'm not worried. I think we should always be concerned and aware. And a lot of vote, members voted for, for, Maxine, but I don't see a lot of them bailing for now. Yeah, I think there there will be a desire to see how the Canadian or the the Conservative Party of Canada can do under Sheer, and if that's a disappointment to members, then in a subsequent election, maybe we'll see a shift. Well, and and in the current context, I don't think leaders get two elections anymore. So whether it's Sheer or anybody else, you know, should we not defeat Justin Trudeau? or for like Jagmeet Singh, same thing. That post-election party meeting is going to be pretty rough. But I don't think it's about like or dislike for Sheer. And, you know, Sheer's actually quietly impressed me. It's true he was not the one with the most zip or sizzle in that election race. But I think that's as much a feature as it is a bug. And especially one when you're contrasting yourself with Justin Trudeau, who many, both right and left, would argue is all sizzle and no steak. Um, I think Sheer has a certain appeal that he's steady and just sort of um, consistent. So, but he's impressed me. You know, it's been, I I wasn't overly thrilled about him. I didn't really feel either way about him. I wasn't against him either, but he's impressed me so far. We certainly could have done worse. And, you know, one of the reasons why I did not vote for Bernie is that last week or weekend of the federal election or leadership election where his campaign behaved so erratically. They were sending out just outrageous emails. Yeah, they're, they're making a list, weren't they? Do you remember that? Yeah, one? they're making a list of they, they said, <laughs> send crazy. us your name so you'll be on the list of people who supported yeah. us because yeah. we'll remember who didn't vote. Max for us. will know. It was crazy. <laughs> That's pretty wow. creepy. And the guy who did that email also did an interview where he was quoted as basically saying vengeance will be his after this. And he was like, <laughs> Max Turns dude. out vengeance was his. Yeah. That's but, very Trumpian. Well, it was it was alarming as a Paul as a party guy who just knows that that kind of thing is not a good place for any party to be starting off with a new leader. No kidding. Yeah. So he his judgment is not, not the first time conservatives have had reason to question Maxime Bernier's judgment. I remember a certain cabinet swearing in where a certain friend of his showed up wearing unorthodox 
uh, clothes and making a spectacle of herself and of himself. And it was Dave's looking at me questioningly, but Adam looks at me like he knows what I'm talking no, about. No, I have no idea. So no Google idea. Maxine Bernier cabinet swearing. Okay. And again, this is not about women's right to dress how they want at all. More about a spectacle of yourself in the wrong time in the wrong moment. Hmm. All right. Well, let's move on okay. to the next question. Okay. This one's from Darren Reddy. He wants to know what the legislature discussion would look like under a minority government situation for either the NDP or UCP. I mean, what do we know about minority governments historically? They don't happen in Alberta. Well, no, because you need three. You need three parties. So who's the third party? I mean, well, quite quite frankly, Derek <clears throat> might get as many seats as the Alberta party. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I don't mean to... <laughs> sorry, Natasha. I, I always come off like such a jerk. But you need to have a third party. Yeah. So if Derek gets two seats and the Alberta party gets four and there's you know some other split, it actually could be quite a circus for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Because yeah. Derek... But I think winning them... I mean, Dave is about to say to me that would be three conservative parties. And so as long as you that can... That would be three conservative yeah. parties. So they'd form a coalition, I'm sure. It would be permanent war. Yeah. It, yeah. For those of us, and this is everybody, who say things like, oh man, this politics is getting so aggressive and so exhausting. Just, just wait. That would be literally a permanent campaign. Yeah. Well, anybody who remembers the uh, the situation in Ottawa from 2004 until 2011. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had that many years. So what's that? Yeah. Seven years of minority governments. So. Well, in two years of it, I was nominated. And that was the worst part is when you're in a, in a minority, you really are always just around the corner from an election. and You never know what it'll be. So yeah. you would have to have constant election readiness. The <laughs> the fundraising would ramp up. The rhetoric would ramp up. It would be. It sounds like a war. nightmare. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, we do have examples of of minority minority situation, minority uh, situations where. Uh, parties have made different, you know, the, the the largest party or the second largest party will make an agreement with the smaller party, basically a supply and 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 money money vote or money agreement that they they'll support uh, uh, the party on if they follow this certain these certain uh, if if they if they promise to to make these certain changes or make these certain legislative changes and they'll support them on the budget. So basically, the government will fall. We have British Columbia right now where the NDP. Which actually has the second most seats in the, by one, I think, in the, in the BC legislature has a is in a coalition with the Greens, right. which is it's not a formal coalition because generally when you say coalition, it means that like some of the smaller party MLAs get to be in cabinet. And when's which, the last time that actually happened? Even the Trudeau that, NDP that, didn't do that. That happened in Saskatchewan. Oh, they really? actually had in cabinet. They, they actually had. Uh, in the ni- mid '90s, Roy Romano, in his second election as premier, the NDP formed a minority. I think it was second or second or third election as premier, the NDP formed a minority, and uh, the Liberal Party, uh, which had th- four or five seats, formed a coalition with the NDP. And I think there were like one or two Liberal MLAs who were actually cabinet ministers. Can you in imagine? That coalition. Hard to imagine that, because cabinet solidarity and cabinet discussions are so important to the system. Anyway, it would be, I mean, from the nerd perspective, it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. But if it's an NDP minority, mm -hmm. the three parties are going to vote them down. Yeah. And if it's a Kenny minority. But but, but maybe, I mean, that's the thing is, is, is there's, there's always the, there's always the danger of voting a government too down quickly and going, going, 
to voting the government down too quickly and going back to the polls too quickly. She the could, people could get pretty ticked off if they have to go back to the polls in, yeah. in two months after the election. I don't really believe in that. Really? I think people are mad at first and then they go vote. Like uh, I don't know. I mean, I think people were... They would be mad. It would be an issue. Think, think about how mad people were when Jim Prentice called the election a year early. But would it change voter behavior? They voted NDP. That's Well, that one were. did. <laughs> so, okay, Notley could pick off the Alberta party with a couple measures like, here's the bags of money we're going to spend and... We're going to just like let make the streets paved with gold. And Kenny could do the opposite with with Derek's party or with I, the Alberta party. I, I don't think there are any natural allies for the NDP in this situation, unless the liberals win. Except for the teachers unions and the nurses. Well, in, in the legislature, in the legislature. Uh, if, if we're looking at and the party. Well, and yeah, well, yeah. Uh, if there are, are uh, uh, you know, say even if there are four or five parties elected, I think maybe... I mean, if the liberals, I'm, I'm not even sure if the liberals are going to be elect, going to be able to elect one MLA in the next election. Uh, but uh, if they were to elect a number, I could see the liberals maybe having a, being in a position to form a coalition with the NDP, but or have some kind of agreement. But the Alberta Party, they're conservatives. The Freedom Conservative Party, they're more conservative than the, uh, or Derek is more conservative than the than the UCP. So I mean, I think that any kind of minority situation would probably end up being a UCP minority government right. because there's no natural partner for the NDP. Everyone who's, who is the who everyone who would be a natural partner for the NDP is already in the NDP in Alberta in terms of the other political parties. All right. This next question uh, comes t- from Kristen uh, Raworth or Rayworth. Kristen, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to correctly pronounce your last name. She says that um, I would love an episode because I'm a sucker for origin stories on how Dave and Ryan met and became friends and the value that can be found in befriending people you don't always politically align with. I We could do a whole pot on that. I think we should do a whole pot on that. Because there's this whole community and like I, you know, of, of people politically involved people in the region that we all know. And like, you know, we had Erica, Janice, and Natasha on the show last time. Well then, you know, I subsequently ran into Erica twice over the last week following that podcast. We had a beer together, like... I know how I feel about the importance of being friends with people who have different points of view, but like the, our origin story collectively, like Ryan and I went to junior high together. Um, Leanne worked on Don's campaign with us. Like it's, it goes deep. I think we should do a whole up on this one day in the near future. What do you guys think? Are you willing to show those cards? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. It's funny how many people you meet who genuinely don't see the validity of the other side and i think maybe it comes down to empathy is empathy the right word it sounds a bit patriarchal i mean more just like realizing that people rational people can disagree Mm -hmm. that's why we have politics and i think that that is non-ideological i think both sides and maybe it's from being in the trenches and maybe the fact that none of us are running from anything for anything makes us I'm running from something. Yeah. <laughs> makes us relax a bit more. But you know, I think one of the what we're trying to accomplish here, and I'm not trying to avoid your origin question, but I think what we're trying to accomplish here is based on the premise that we're not actually trying to convince each other. Like my goal here is not to get Dave or Adam to vote conservative. Um, because and once you can let that go it kind of makes you relax a bit, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, where you're like, okay, well, you're not going to change your vote. I'm not going to change my vote. So let's talk about it. And what's the perspective? And I really like hearing your perspectives on the conservative side and your perspectives on your side because often they're different. And it's one of those things, like I think what society needs right now is communication and empathy. So 
Dave, do you remember our origin story? I don't really. We just kind of knew of each other. We did the project with Mac in yeah, the 2013 yeah. municipal election. That's right. Yeah, you can. I'm sure you can find them. They're all on YouTube. We did a series of Google Hangouts with Mac Mail. Those were fun. Yeah, I loved watching those. And it was the format was kind of similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was fun. Um, we had Don Iveson, I think Carrie Diot, the they mayoral candidates. Carrie Diot, did we? Did you, Karen Libavici come on? I, I thought you did. She, we even had Rachel Notley. Come oh, we on. had Rachel Notley come on. That's right. At the beginning of the 2015 provincial Brian election. Jean? Yeah. Oh, Brian Jean was going to. No, we had Derek Fildebrand. Derek Fildebrand as Brian Jean's surrogate. Well, oh, there Brian. was a personal tragedy that had oh, that's just right. happened. That's right. I'd forgotten. Mm. And then we had Kiki Planet, Kathleen Smith, yeah. and we had Alf. Uh, Oh, we had pa- Patricia Mitsuka came on, yeah. and and uh, was that during the Stephen Mandel years or the that was I think PC? That, I think that was right after the municipal election. We talked about what it's like to transition into government into, right. the, mayor, into the mayor's office, and I think that's what she spoke about. Um, Delansky represented me, I think. Oh yeah, we had Stephen Delansky on a couple times. That was fun. Yeah, no, that was good. Um, yeah, I'll post a link to them on uh, on the on the blog uh, along with this the story that goes with this podcast. If you want to take a look. Um, cause I'm pretty sure they're all still on YouTube, Oh yeah. but I, okay. You're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong. I think Ryan, uh, back in like the two thousands used to comment on my blog using the name Hasty. Probably. Hasty. Hasty? Okay. It sounds like me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I could, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was, and I think we I had actually, a blog spot at one point. Yeah. I think time. we actually exchanged emails like in like 2006 or something like that. About well, I went that. to Ottawa in right around now, late August, 2006. And then I was a staffer. So it would have been probably before that. I think you were in Ottawa at the time. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or it was right, right around that time. But yeah, I think that's when we, I think that might've been when we, the first time we'd had, we'd had contact, but I think the first time I met, and I, I was talking to my wife, Kyla about this. Cause I was trying to remember, I was thinking when, when I was preparing for this, this episode, I was thinking, when do you remember when Ryan and I actually first met? And she thought it was at, there was that like this, there was this, I can't remember who organized it or what the deal was, but there was a pints and politics night mm. at, some bar downtown and this would have been right when you when ryan was running for the federal conservatives in edmonton south kona so this was like 2010 i think or 2011 and oh nine but who's counting oh nine okay oh nine and uh june 17th 2009 i was nominated okay well it might have been after that it might have been after you were nominated but there was a pints and politics night and and she remember she remembered that you were there and and we were there so that might have been the first time we met and the reason why i remember that night uh, is because I have no idea what you're about to say. <laughs> we were we were sitting at a table with a with a, a, a then Tory cabinet minister who uh, who's going to go unnamed uh, because I don't want to get sued, even though it's true. Uh, who was making horribly racist uh, jokes about Raj Sherman uh, and and uh, and trying to do is make fun of his accent and stuff. And it was anyway, it was horrible. I remember it was, that it was horrible. And uh, anyway. That- that that person is no longer in the legislature and is no longer a cabinet minister, thankfully. Uh, but that that was the the most memorable part of that night because it was uh, it was pretty. Horrible. I do remember that, and if we ever have a Patreon, this will be what people have to pay a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good idea. <laughs> to hear. The good stories are going to be for our paying audience. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I enjoy it. You know, Dave's audience is large. And I think probably inaccessible to me on my own. And so I appreciate the opportunity to speak here. And, you know, I, I think that the truth is subjective and rational people will disagree. And where you where you stand today depends on where you've been. And so we'll hopefully, you know, and I think it's important to all three of us to lend our microphone to other people as well. Mm-hmm. And so thanks, mm-hmm. Kristen. And, you know, it's worth saying, Kristen, you've been so 
powerful lately in speaking out about sexual harassment and sexual assault even and the treatment of women and, and the treatment of the public service too like yeah. she's got a really mm-hmm. great i love i love her content on twitter it's yeah. really interesting mm-hmm. so thank you chris keep you up know, the great job yeah we do the easy part we just get together and make jokes and eat cookies but <laughs> Kristen, the work that you're doing is actually quite meaningful so thank yeah. you great question okay we've got uh, mountain ted who is a frequent flyer uh, he's always asking questions of the pod. We're going to have to figure out who Mountain Ted is. <laughs> it's probably Ted Morton. That would be awesome. <laughs> Fred- Frederick Lee. Yeah. How do parties prepare <clears throat> for potential bozo eruptions? Are known loose cannons monitored? Are there prepared talking points for likely subjects? If, if anybody knows, please tell the UCP. I'll tell you this. I know how we do it. Like I, I'm a communications <laughs> professional. I know how we do it for organizations and, and somewhat for candidates. So I've never worked in a political party. What we do know about the way that Rachel Notley runs her party is that she keeps a very tight leash on messaging and who is saying what. Um, th- no that, one's allowed to talk. No one's allowed to talk. It takes a tremendous amount of discipline. So absolutely, parties do prepare for it. But I think everyone has a different method and and varying levels of success as well. So in 2012, I was the director of political operations for the Wild Rose Party. Uh, leading up to the election, and as history would show, we had a few of, of these. What, what's the plural for bozo? Bozai? Bozai. A, a lake of fire of bozos? <laughs> a lake of bozos. <laughs> Bozers. And it's not the ones you can prepare for that get you. Yeah. What did Donald Rumsfeld say? There's known unknowns, and then there's unknown unknowns. And those are the ones that get you. Typical Rumsfeld double talk. <laughs> the known unknown. No, it's true though. It's yeah. the known ones you can kind of prepare for. And you know, part of the problem too is you've got a bunch of people who aren't political professionals who may have never run for anything before. They get nominated locally based on their mm-hmm. strengths and their profile. And then they have some 25-year-old, 28-year-old telling them they can't talk anymore. And it's a pretty tough pill to swallow. So... It's tough, but what do they do to prepare? Yeah, the things you've listed. You know, they prepare talking points. When something comes out, you'll send out a memo basically to all the candidates saying, like, here's what's happened. If you're asked about it, here's what you say. Some parties to different degrees will ask them not to speak unless it's a local issue. Mm -hmm. You know, for all the the criticism that Jason Kenney gets, I would say Notley's the one with the much tighter grip on her caucus for this. Yep, I would agree. Mm -hmm. And so it... The known, the known bozai are the are okay, but it's the unpredictable ones. You know, I think it was Erica who mentioned during the 2012 election, the PC campaign had to deal with one of their staffers tweeting out that Daniel Smith is angry and bitter because she can't have children. That's right. So I'm sure that that was a fun day on the campaign. Oh man, for no. them, I can tell you that the Lake of Fire. Um, there's a few of those comments. The Caucasian advantage was the other one. <laughs> uh, Kiki, Kathleen Smith delivered a, quite the body blow one day. We woke up and she had um, posted a blog post mm-hmm. about conscious rights. And no mm-hmm. one was talking about conscious mm-hmm. rights. Conscious rights wasn't even, it was an unknown unknown. Yeah. It's not like we were worried about that one. It was like, who's Kiki Planet? <laughs> Why is the sky falling? That was the, uh, the I think it was, they called it, it was called the Wilted Rose. Was that the Wilted Rose blog post? I think it's she called all, it. It's a bit we'll, of a blur. We'll, 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 we'll see if it's still on the internet and try to link to it. It's a it, bit of a blur to me. The Wayback Machine will remember. Yeah, the Wayback Machine will have it. So Mountain Ted, I suspect you know a little bit more about this than you're letting on. 
Um, and yeah, certainly loose cannons are monitored. Absolutely. I mean, the parties know who their candidates are. Mm-hmm. And we had in 2012 a buddy system. So candidates were buddied with MLAs where it was an emotional support, a friendship role, a mentor role. Um, that helps in a way. And and a snitch role. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Wild Rose 2012, they didn't believe in snitching or in muzzling or anything. It was a wild... That was after the election, right? That was the, uh... No, leading up. Yeah, that came later. <laughs> so I think you try everything yeah. and you hope for the best. But I mean, you look at someone like... Uh, Carrie Diot and some of his outbursts on Twitter, which are like astonishingly, to put it mildly, discomforting. Um, they're like, who's watching that guy? Well, I mean, that's that's we're going into federal politics then. And sure, then we can talk about whether the federal conservatives have good caucus, vetting and caucus a, discipline. Well, yeah. Remember Rathgaver? He publicized. He gave a little glimpse behind <clears throat> the scenes where <clears throat> he said that the PMO Alberta desk person told him not to say something and he said no i'm gonna say it and mm-hmm. i mean I, I do see both sides and i think to people who have never worked in politics it seems a lot easier than when you're actually in the role you know ask oh who would be a good person but uh jeff henwood now and whoever the ndp have like it's it's hurting cats right yeah in a high stakes situation but so when Rathgaber publicized it it looks pretty bad it looks mm-hmm. like there's some 22 year old staffer trying to tell elected officials how to get along but look at bernie it was caucus that came out and said he's not a team player you're hurting all of us yeah and i think that's maybe what not least tapped into sorry she's made her caucus believe that it's not just in her best interest but in their best interest to keep the bow's eye down Mm -hmm. yeah no definitely and uh, i mean I i i know that that'll be something that that uh, I mean, the NDP will, will continuing to look at going into the next election. I mean, with their current MLAs, but also with new candidates that get nominated. Because um, I mean, one of the, one of the the challenges that the NDP had going or after the twenty fifteen election is they because it was a wave election, they had a, you know many dozens of MLAs who were elected who probably didn't expect to get elected and might not have been as thoroughly vetted as they or, thought or, or thought prepared. they were. Or prepared, Some yeah. Some of them didn't campaign yeah. and they won. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's not me trying to sound like sour grapes, but some of them truly weren't doing a whole lot until the last week. Yeah, and you, you see that in, in, in a lot of wave elections. I mean, you go back uh, in the 2001 election in Alberta when Klein had his big wave and the Tories won a bunch of seats in Edmonton that they didn't expect to, to win. Well, they nominated a whole bunch of candidates who were you know, who didn't expect to be MLAs. I would say the same as, and you know, this is when I was working for the, the, the Alberta Liberal Party in the 2004 election when the Liberals, we think we ended up winning 16 or 17 seats. It was a kind of a wave at the end of the election, swept Edmonton, elected f- three or four MLAs in Calgary. Um, there were some, it was, you know, I'll be honest, it was not the highest quality of, of MLA. And I mean, the difference between 2004 and 2015 is that the Liberals formed official opposition, the NDP formed government in 20, 2015. Right. And, and I mean, I think the NDP have actually, to, to their credit, done quite well in terms of, of caucus discipline, in terms of, of keeping their ship going um, and keeping their message tight. Uh, we haven't really seen tons of bozo eruptions. I mean, unless you count Senator Jansen's Twitter account, but that's, it doesn't seem, to, doesn't seem to have any huge impact. It, yeah, which is weird because it is objectively bad. Yeah, well, that's just, just I, I don't know if it's bozo eruption for the most part as much as just poor taste, but yeah. anyway, I digress. We, we, we've talked, we, we, we spent too much time on this top podcast talking about Sandra Jansen's Twitter account. <laughs> she has attacked both my dad indirectly and my wife directly on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, man. She's not getting invited over for dinner anytime soon in the she husband doesn't. house. 
She doesn't get any of those cookies right there. That's right. <laughs> All right. We've got uh, one last question, which is actually two questions that are similar. So Nathan Smith uh, says the AUPE recently uh, reached a tentative deal. Is the union really okay with zero uh, wage increases across the board? What are the implications for union peace in our time? And then Tracy uh, Grebenstein or Grebenstein, sorry, uh, sorry, Trudy, Trudy. I'm going to try that again. Trudy Grebenstein uh, also asks, uh, you know, teachers have just had three years of zero raises and only grid adjustments. Will they peacefully accept more zeros? So politicians have been asking unions to uh, share the, in the pain, I guess, when it comes to wage increases. Um, is it sustainable? Do you think union members are pissed off? I, I think what the underlying question here is, is the NDP going to get in trouble for this? They're supposed to be the union party. Well, okay, so going back to 2015, the, the when the NDP won the provincial election, I think believe every provincial or every public sector contract that's been signed in Alberta with the provincial government since um, since 2015, all of the bidders, the five or six big ones uh, with uh, AUPE, Health Science Association, and the Alberta Teachers Association, Association and the United Nurses of Alberta, they've all had... I believe they've all had zero percent salad, zero percent increases in terms of, of raises. Now, to just to touch on Trudy's point, there is, I believe, most of the agreements include like a salary grid, so that you might not be getting the whole. You know, everybody might not be getting a whole raise, but like if you work a certain amount of years, so like when you've worked five years, you get a certain raise. When you've worked six years, you get a certain bump in bump in pay. Uh, so those those still exist, I think, in most of the collective agreements. Um, going back to when the NDP first formed first formed government and Rachel Notley brought Brian Topp in as her chief of staff. Brian Topp wrote a book uh, a number of years ago talking about his experiences. He was, I think he was, he was chief of staff or deputy chief of staff with Roy Romano. He'd worked with Jack Layton. He'd been involved with NDP governments across the country. And one of the points that he talked about was the NDP do badly in elections when when they're running for re-election when they've gone to war against labor unions which makes total sense because obviously you know it, it's their it's their it's their people it's their base of support labor labor activists there's a lot of new democratic supporters who are labor activists there are a lot of labor's labor activists union activists who are ndp supporters that's kind of a that's natural the ndp are the party of there's the social democratic party and they're the party of labor um so First of all, like looking at how the NDP have approached negotiating collective agreements, uh, I mean they have asked for they have asked for zeros for most, for, for most or for all of them. And I mean the idea was that, or the argument was that, you know, the economy's not doing well, which was true. The provincial government's financial sheets aren't doing well, which is true because we know we're running mess. They're running huge deficits. Um, so, you know, asking to, to share a bit of the, share a bit of the pain. And I mean, I think for most people, I think that most people get it because if you work, even if you work for in the public sector, you probably have a spouse or a family member or friends who have been affected by the economic downturn, whether they've had their hours cut back or they've been laid off. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard to live in Alberta and not have that. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people kind of get it. Um, so the question is, is whether, you know, whether is the union really okay with it? Well, I mean, so far, I don't think they've had any, uh, rejected contracts in terms of the members voting overwhelmingly to reject, reject these contracts. I don't know if we know the details of what's in the recent AUPE contract. I'm not aware. Yeah. I think they, they announced they're having a vote and, but I don't think they actually announced the details. I think there's an assumption that there's 0% increase. I think it'd be 
kind of shocking if there was because they've been because they all the, basically most of the other unions have support have uh, have accepted zero percent increases yeah um on the teacher's point it's graham, graham thompson had an interesting article an interesting column the other day about how the government is wrapping up all these big contracts with with the public sector unions and i think there are two more aupe contracts that, that are in the process of being wrapped up but the teachers contract is actually coming to expire the last one they signed with the zeros and i don't think the teachers have i think bef- the previous contract they signed with with the tories when i think allison redford was premier the yeah. toward like the teachers had like five years of zero percent increases so the teachers have not had a like a pay raise in like a long time which mm-hmm. which i mean you know short term wise recognizing you know economic you know there's economic pain economic situation but like when the teachers accepted a zero percent pay raise when the economy was doing really well, like seven years ago, like that's a that's a big deal. It ends up being like compounding. That's a that's a lot of time to not have a pay increase because you know you may not be getting a pay increase, but it doesn't mean the cost of living is go down, going down. Yeah. I mean the the everything the cost of everything is still going up regardless of of the economy not doing well. It's not like life is mm-hmm. becoming cheaper. So I mean, there's those those kind of things that will that will play in. I don't know. I don't have any. Uh, particular insight into the the teacher's contract in terms of how they're going to be negotiating it but i i don't think that the ndp is going to want to have uh to uh have to have labor unrest going into the next election yeah well that's what i was going to ask you dave does the spectrum of a canny government actually become a good leverage tool for this government to say you may not like this but if you don't sign on to this or if you don't work with us the real bad guys coming, you know, that might be simplistic, but yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think there's, there's obviously there's, I mean, there, there is awareness that the next election, the, uh, the next election is coming up and people read the polls and people know how things are going. And right now the polls are looking good for the UCP and you know, the UCP is not a public sector friendly party. Uh, Kenny's made that clear recently. I mean, recently and it ended, ended in his, his entire, basically his entire political career. Um, going back to his time with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation or the Alberta Taxpayers Association, I think is what it was called back then. Um, so yeah, I think there will be there will be uh, pressure to wrap everything up before the next election. I don't know what the timeline is for the new teachers' contract in terms of their negotiating, but I guess it expires in the next bit. Yeah. Well, and just on that, you know, I don't have a lot to add to the question, but I'm I'm always I want us to be cautious as conservatives to separate the Alberta Teachers Association union from the rank and file teacher. There's about what 40,000 teachers in Alberta, which is a huge voter block. And most of them are married and part of the community and live they don't just live in these union enclaves where they, you know, vote NDP. Not everybody lives in Edmonton Highlands and and Strathcona and have like tofu barbecues and stuff. You know, we as conservatives, we can be it's a two-way street, quite antagonistic with AUPE with the ATA, like the union bosses, big labor, I'll call them. But we have to be careful to respect that. I bet you an awful lot of those 40,000 teachers are UCP members. Mm-hmm. They're all taxpayers. They're members of our community. And you know, now that we have children, I have to tell you that some of the most important people in our life for Leanne and I is our, our kids' teachers. And so it changes it a little bit when you realize that there is a teacher is not only a member of the ATA, but also a member of the community and a voter and potentially a conservative. So I hope we proceed without too much rhetoric in the campaign attacking public sector union members. You know, Gil 
McGowan, McGowan yeah. is one thing. And he takes shots at us and we take shots at him and that's fine. But the rank and file, you know, these are regular Albertans. And most families, not most, a large number of families in Alberta have one person in the public sector and one person in the private sector. Mm-hmm. So. And probably increasingly so since the economic downturn. Mm-hmm. And I was also going to make a joke here. Raise your hand if you're part of a public sector union. My hand is up. You're in a union? I am. Oh. At the U of A. I, I'm out of scope. I, I'm, I'm a member of the United Steelworkers. So we're brothers. Yeah, but I'm a private sector union. But yeah, we're brothers. So I'm the only public sector union. <laughs> what the hell? There you go. <laughs> Everything's upside down. I'm in the professor's union, which is just... Dr. Dr. Hastman. Egregiously, <laughs> egregiously union. But um, anyway, that you're going to edit that part out, right, Adam? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put this episode together. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. Other great Alberta Podcast Network show that you should check out is called The Creative Block. This is hosted by Kyle Marshall. He's the owner of Media Lab YYC. Guys, Calgary has a Media Lab and we don't. A What's place, up with that? A place for creators to go and make podcasts and videos and stuff like that. It's going to be my next project, the Media Lab YEG. Um, So the creative block includes interviews with artists and entrepreneurs about where they came from, what they're doing now, and where they want to go. Kyle is the host, and he always does such a great job. He's a terrific asker of questions and gleaner of insights. He's got a natural curiosity about people. So check out Creative Block. It's a show for anyone who considers themselves creative. You can find that show and more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for our next episode. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at DayBerta or on the DayBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at dayberta.ca. And also, please feel free to leave a review if you, uh, if you like what you're hearing. You won't win anything except our love. Thanks for tuning in.